Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show with myself, Roy Shanahan, David Bugle and Neil Dobbs on another weekend, Neil, where Liverpool and Manchester City win. Boring. <laughs> but that's all going to stop at some stage, Neil, because uh, we're only a week away from the big showdown. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it, the pinnacle is coming nicely, isn't it? You know, if one of them had a thrown away points, it might have kind of changed the way maybe they approach the game next week. Um, like we've been looking at this game now from afar, thinking, can we get that far into the season and, and you know, actually uh, climb past City on the table? Uh, they did briefly forever. It was an hour or so on Saturday and then they were quickly put back in their place. So, yeah, it's building up to be a big, big game. In fact, it's building to be one of the biggest games I can remember Premier League wise. And if anyone wants to go back a couple of years uh, when Liverpool were matching City kind of blow for blow when they finished on whatever it was, the 96, 97 points, it was because in January they lost the game, uh, didn't get the points, City got ahead and then you couldn't claw them back because you were relying on somebody else to do you a favour. So I would say from a Liverpool perspective, that's going to be at the back of your mind. If you want to give that killer blow and get ahead of them, that they're doing the ones that are chasing you for the first time this season, um, that makes it even bigger. And the challenge is absolutely humongous. So it's definitely a game that whets the appetite coming up for next week. And of course, I'm just looking here, Dave. The next game for Liverpool after that is Manchester United. Is that right? No, well, league-wise, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, no, it's yes. City again. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so I think it'll be more devastating a blow if City were to win because four points clear with seven to go. Slightly better run in. Obviously, Liverpool have United and Everton, I think, in the next two, or at least two out of the next three league games. And then you've got Champions League and, uh, and another monster game of a cup semi-final against them. And that's going to be a, a, a funny game in terms of the league for me because whoever wins next week, if they can win the two in a row, that could be huge. Like that yeah. semi-final could have not necessarily for the cup, but just for a bearing on the league. If they if whoever wins next week was to do it again, it could really just be the final nail potentially, or just put that enough doubt. So the the, the two games are going to be very, very interesting. But obviously the league game is more important. But I think if City win four points to go at seven compared to Liverpool, it'd be a bit more devastating. But let's let's be honest, the way the two teams play, they're going for a win next week. I I'd be shocked if somebody plays conservative and tries to see the game out, they're, they're going to go bang at it. It's There's no two ways about it. Well, the last few times that they've played, Roy, City and Liverpool have kind of gone at each other for a half and then they've kind of pulled back into their shell a little. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they really go full hammer and tongs, full throttle. And then all of a sudden they kind of go, whoa, whoa, let's, you know, settle for the one all or the two all, whatever it is. This can't be like that. This is going to be a, a war to the death for 90 minutes. And that's, I think, what makes it a little bit more exciting. And that's what I was going to say. It's in their DNA to go at teams anyhow. So it's not as if yeah. that the sitting back thing is going to be there. So, Neil, when you look at this game, of course, Liverpool probably have to win it more so than Man City. And Man City would probably be happy with a draw, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think so. It's like I think we've discussed it a couple of times in the last few weeks that, and, and David probably agreed with me, City are one of these teams, a little bit like Chelsea, where I think they're set up perfectly almost to go at Liverpool to get in behind the high line mm. you'll have kind of late runners in Sterling Foden Grealish whoever can get on beyond that you know the traditional number nine which they don't play so this is a team that worries me when we play them the only little glimmer of hope now I'm having not totally glimmer of hope but Nathan Ake maybe starting if Diaz is still out um, that could be a little bit of a difference uh, difference maker because I definitely think Liverpool will give Ake trouble so 
there's a lot to be optimistic about, but I'm just curious what way, as we were saying there, both managers are going to set up. Will Klopp go full throttle at them and say, this is the best chance we're going to have to go to do a number on them rather than sit back and you're waiting for a Crystal Palace or, you know, an Everton or a Leicester someone to do something. This is your opportunity. And I really hope it's a positive message and they get out and go at them. Um, because you know yourself, if you let them get ahead three points, four points again, it's a huge ass to overhaul them. On, and they're, they're seasoned on the home run uh, seat year. Yeah, now, Neil, I'm looking at their, their starting 11 from the other day. Cancelo, as you said, Ake, Laporte, Walker, De Bruyne, Rodri, uh, Gundogan, Grealish, Foden and Sterling. So as you said, there's a couple injured, but so Jesus, Bernardo Silva, Stones, Zinchenko is is more of a, a bench player and, and Mares. Is there anyone who's going to sneak into that team, do you think, for the Liverpool game? Um, I think Bernardo will start because he generally has a good game against Liverpool. Yeah. Again, when we're saying Taylor made, he's always on the front foot, chasing, harrying. Um, I think it was was the game earlier this year or last year, I can't remember, but Bernardo had a good game against Liverpool. He, I think he scored one and maybe set one up. Um, they couldn't seem to handle him in the middle. He was twisting and torn and it was almost like Liverpool were running through concrete trying to get back at him, you know? Um, so I think he'll definitely start because I think he has good DNA against Liverpool and a good track record. Um, I think they're sweating on the fitness. I don't even know if he's going to be fit on Diaz, but he would be one that would have to get in. If he's out, that is a big loss. But even at that, like City are very, very formidable in what they've got for Rodri, De Bruyne, Gundogan, against Sterling. Um, even Sterling in the last game <clears throat> or so, when he's played Liverpool has been better as in, I always used to think Liverpool used to get on his back. The crowd used to get on his back. There was this, you know, you're an ex Liverpool player, but I think he might have kind of shed that with a bit of maturity now. Um, which again, makes him a very, very dangerous player. And as we are saying, guys running in behind the, the block, the high line, Sterling would be a big, big worry in a game like that. Um, so yeah, they'd look, listen, firepower all over the field. Yeah. Um, Liverpool, Gomez, Matip, Van Dijk, Robertson, Jones, Henderson, Thiago, Salah, Firmino, Jota. Does Mane sneak back in there instead of Firmino? Is that the only change that Liverpool might have next week, Dave? Yeah, I would say so. And Alexander-Arnold should be fit, they reckon. Okay. Um, so he'll probably come in for Gomez, potentially. Um, midfield, Fabinho will come in, I'd say. Um, Fabinho... For Jones. Probably, yeah, yeah for Jones. Um, that's what I'd say. So it depends on Alexander Rounds' fitness, but I think Manny will come in. I I watched a bit of a thing there with Klopp. It was it was Diaz and Manny were similar. Uh, Manny stayed an extra day in Senegal after qualifying, so it was more just a he was only back. I don't think he managed to train a bit like Diaz, so they sat on the bench. So yeah, Manny and, and Arnold and Fabinho, I'd imagine, providing they're all fit, will will come in next week. Okay, Dave, I will start with you. Your predictions. Give us a prediction. Goals, um, because even yesterday watching a bit of Liverpool, like once or twice, it was the two lads on their own, and a better team could have really punished them. Um, so if City, well, I'll expect City to punish them, but it's just hopefully Liverpool have their shooting boots as well. It'll be a score game, but obviously I want Liverpool to win. But I, yeah, two two. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm hoping, Roy, that, and I use the word hope, that this is the game we all turn around afterwards and go, you see, that's why City need a Harry Kane in there for not punishing them mistakes. <laughs> I definitely think they're going to get chances. I think they're going to get in behind. I'm just hoping, as I say, that Liverpool go out with the right attitude. It'll be completely different to what you've seen in Liverpool the last few games. This will be full throttle. Introduce some players on 60 minutes, whether it's Firmino, Diaz, these guys. I think Liverpool have options. 
And I think they have the bit between their teeth that this is a chance they can't let slip. So I'm hoping they go there with a mature, fiery performance. Maybe nick it 3-2, 2-1, something like that. Okay, so that sounds like hope to me, Neil, and rather than yeah. that, that, <laughs> that balance. Quiet optimism. No doubt it's going to be a, a very tight game one way or the other. It's not going to be too much between the two sides. And that, listen, the whole the whole of Europe is looking, the whole of the world is looking forward to this game. This is a, It's a biggie. Okay, Dave, Manchester United again failed to win. Uh, their performances, well, you may look at Leicester sometimes and say, well, a one-all draw with Leicester that can happen it's not really about that it's about the performances they had no Ronaldo uh, they had no striker uh, yeah. Rashford's on the bench and decided not to go with him Fernandez as a false nine Ooh, I don't know how much of the game you got to see what was yeah. your thoughts I missed the first half but by all accounts I missed nothing I heard it was a very subdued game very subdued half very quiet and listening to a bit of Gary Neville afterwards they have a, like an extended podcast I think they do he kind of said he got announced for soccer eight this week and he says I thought I was watching it it was that it was that um it was that tame in the first half second half obviously it got live once the goals kicked in it kind of brought the game to life on both sides but um <clears throat> it, 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 it was just a with United every week you're you think you have it all covered and obviously Ranya got a bit of a passion again afterwards which you're not surprised about and I'm not going to sit here and defend them all the time and I'm not going to sit here and just blame players all the time but it, it it just I don't know what it is it's almost like players know fans know that this season's almost written off now and it's almost that's like the way it looks when you're watching them sometimes it's almost like yeah let's just get this shit finished with and he's gone upstairs and we'll see who's coming in because there's rumors obviously of ten hag and obviously van gaal was talking about him so yeah and then obviously he probably doesn't know as well he's trying to find his best best team obviously ronaldo being missing is a big loss but it's just i wouldn't overly break it down i just have this feeling that that's what it is almost this stage it's just playing it out now which is not good enough for for the fans considering they're still in with a shout in the top four but it's almost like they've given up on that and it's kind of like yeah, like is he just experimenting now to see who he would like to see in the squad, depending on who's going to be in there looking after next year? Because that's the uncertainty of it all. Like we're fully expecting him to go now. The fact that they've started interviews. Well, when I look at the team, uh, apart from the Fernandez up front and Rashford stuck on the bench, which mm. made no sense to me at all. Um, he obviously doesn't fancy Rashford at all whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and I thought Rashford did okay when he came on. Um, you have the likes of Tellez, there's Rashford, obviously, Matic, Henderson, Linderoff, Jones, Wambasaka, Mata, and Lingard. And to tell you the truth, there's not an awful lot there that's telling you that you're going to change the game for, for the better no. if they if they started ahead of what was there. I mean, you know how I feel about Pogba. I'm, I'll be happy when he goes. Um, Alanga, I think, has been put in there to just try and mix up maybe and try yeah. and get the others to perform, really. Uh, but it, it, of course, he's not ready to to go on to those sort of games and and dominate. And he's not here; he hasn't got that uh, skill set yet. But a very promising no. player. But it hasn't lit the fire of Lingard. It hasn't lit the fire of of anyone else. So it, it comes down to the players, doesn't it, uh, Neil? When you look at that team, there's a big job there. It's nothing got to do with Ranić. I, I don't think Ranić is the man. Anyhow, I, I, from what I've seen of him, I don't think he's. There's nothing there that I I think that would give him a, an opportunity to take the job because um, 
he has said things and I think there's a job there that he's supposed to do afterwards but that's we'll talk about that now in a second but Neil when you look at the team this is a Manchester United team not good enough for the top four we said that weeks and weeks ago probably before Christmas they're not good enough for the top four they're proving that now and seventh place at the moment they're probably better off not getting in Europe at all uh, yeah, it, it look right. It's it's an unbelievable situation United are in. Consider where they were last year. <clears throat> um, the Rashford scenario is the biggest red flag for me. Like this is a guy that wasn't selected from England. He's been at home the last ten days. He's trained with the squad. And Raniak's comment was the only option I had was Marcus. Like if he's your only option, why are you not putting him in? So what yeah. has he done, or what has happened? with his relationship, be it his work ethic on the training ground. But whatever Rashford has shown in 10 days of all your senior pros going away and playing international, it wasn't even enough to get a start when Ronaldo um, and uh, Cavani are both not available. That is actually incredible. That's the biggest statement to me in all of this, that your only other recognised striker is on the bench and you're only bringing him on in a desperate plea in the last, whatever it was, 15, 20 minutes. It's shocking. And it's a big indictment on Rashford's. I can only say in Rashford, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but for me not to select a guy that is a recognised striker when you have no striker and to let Man United play the way they did for 60, 70 minutes was horrendous to watch. 72,000 people watching that, I think they must have been thinking, I'm in a dream here and not to theatre the dreams. It was a bad dream. Um, it's but he just also indicative said, of what's Neil, going He also on. said Rashford trained well. So yeah. I don't, I don't get what that's all about. If he trained well, why then isn't he good enough to start? He has pace. He can stretch the back line. Fernandez wasn't going to do that. Pogba wasn't going to do that. No. Sancho and Alanga stay wide. Uh, sometimes tuck in, but they don't. They're not stretching. Although Sancho is starting to show good signs now, uh, which I'd be thankful for. For if you're a Manchester United fan. But it definitely just needs. And if I look at I look at Conte for Spurs, when he went in there, first of all, you could see that they started to tight. They were tightening up. There was stuff that was happening. Yes, they got yeah. the odd bad result, but you could see something happening. And Ranić hasn't got anything really out of these players. They haven't performed any better than they did under Solskjaer at the start of the season. There is no improvement whatsoever. He has done nothing in that squad, bar analysed them. When I look at Ranić and I look at Conte, it shows me that Ranić isn't a man for the job because he has got nothing out of them. Dave, when you look at Ranić, his specialty is actually not being the manager, but above that and organising everything around for the manager, whether it's uh, transfers, etc. There's talk this week now that, and I think Gary Neville might have mentioned it, that maybe he won't be at the club at all. But surely a man who has an expertise in in the job that he was supposed to be brought in for and getting judged on a job that he wasn't brought in for and not getting the job that he was brought in for off the back of the results that he wasn't brought in for just (laughs) makes absolutely no sense. Is there a question there? I think, uh, okay. Uh, um, That that was the tightrope that the that they kind of, that's the, probably the wrong start, but that's, you know, that was the whole point six months ago, right? If he struggles, will he even get the gig that he's been brought in for? And now all of a sudden, there's probably people who are maybe pissed off at him. Maybe he's telling a few people, a few home truths. Maybe that's the whole thing with Rashford. Is he trying to piss him off so he can be one of the easy ones to get rid of because they've a monster wage bill there and a lot of it is not deserved. So 
I don't know. Is and then people above is he starting to get a bit brave up there? But then again, he certainly isn't doing enough to convince people he wants to be the manager. I think it's fairly obvious he probably doesn't at this stage. That's that's just a guess because you get that feeling in, in, in performances on the pitch, or you get that feeling from him on the sideline, and you'd certainly get it after a game. I think he's quite happy to potentially go upstairs or go at this stage, but um that's the that tight rope, that fine line that they they that, that happened when they brought him in because there's going to be people who probably don't even want him there running it at this stage. So it, it, it was another head scratcher when it happened back then and it could come home to roost again where they need two people because obviously with Woodward going and then potentially Rania could be gone now. So it's a, it's a strange scenario. But Van Gaal stirring the pot the other day about Ten Hag was interesting. Like, you know, stay clear of their commercial club, you know. Um like you know, it'll be interesting. Will he talk to him? Because it, that's the reputation that Man United is now. Everyone looked up to them, especially under Ferguson's era, and he realised the importance of that badge and that club and who they were in world football. And now, um, it's been it's it like very similar to Liverpool in the late nineties, where people didn't realise just how good they were. It's starting to happen now, where some people are the, the generation blows don't realise that what a like mammoth club United are, and and that's gonna happen in, in in with players and managers alike, not just fans. Um, that 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 regard for United is 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 diminishing, and somebody needs to grab it and and get it back quick. Otherwise, um, it could get very interesting. Very interesting indeed, and there's so much talk about new stadiums and possible yeah. new owners needed because there has. There has been a lot of bad decisions and uh, when you look at the players that are on the pitch, they're put there by not the managers but by people above um, and the players who are on the pitch aren't good enough to play for Manchester United. Yeah. The managers, I wouldn't say that aren't good enough but definitely the attitude, mentality, etc, etc isn't good enough there and there's a lot to, lot to do before the start of next season and uh, you couldn't see them do any more uh, than a fourth place, their third place finish next year at best okay Neil Brentford unbelievable 4-1 victory over Chelsea and where did this come from uh, it, but it does show you Neil that you can have a good group of players and if you get that one key player into your squad mm. it can it can light up the rest of the team yeah, do you know what it is, Roy? What did we say about Ericsson there last week wouldn't, or a couple of weeks ago? Wouldn't it be great if he was the glue that came in and just binded that team together and brought them up another level? And it's happening. Like, I don't know if you've seen him yesterday. He had a big, mad smile on his face as he's putting the ball in the net. He got clattered by Mendy, get up. You know, there's just, it's like a breath of fresh air watching Ericsson on the field now. It's a, it's a, it's an afterlife, a forecoming, a resurrection, whatever you want to call it. It's fantastic to watch. But the quality that he's after bringing to that team, maybe the mentality he's after bringing to that team, the freshness, um, whatever it is, it's rubbed off in, 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 in gallons at the moment. And Brentford are just all of a sudden like the Brentford in the first five or six games where they're brimming with confidence, they're going at teams. There was a lovely moment uh, yesterday where... Um, I, I've taught Thiago Silva. Silva has been very, very good this year. But uh, Ivan Tony gave him about an eight-yard kind of a gap, and the ball was lobbed up from the goalkeeper, and he absolutely clattered uh, him in the air, and they won the ball, and it went through. And I think that's where one of the goals came from. And mm, there was yeah. a lack of respect that Brentford showed him, which was mm. brilliant. They just got at them. Um, now, if you watch Chelsea this year, Roy, you'll see they're well, well protected. No one gets at Thiago Silva like that. But you can get Adam Route 1, and that's exactly what they did. They got Adam Route 1, and then they swarmed forward. 
swarm of bees and the next thing you know they've the ball in the back of the net so Ericsson definitely has given them that little bit of a an impetus he's given them a little bit more quality and he just seems to be involved in every delivery and every assist and now goals as well so what a week he's had i think he scored in both of denmark's games goes out then and they as a goal down as well a goal down at Stamford bridge you're thinking chelsea will lock this up and the next thing you're walking away with a 4-1 win. Absolutely incredible stuff. Neil, how many people around Europe, clubs around Europe, are going, what the hell were we at? Why weren't we looking to sign this fella? Yeah, unbelievable. I don't, I don't, a lot of it was red tape. I think there was some leagues have, have rules, obviously, around it. But they'll be looking, even maybe even next year, someone's going to come along and think to themselves, "What? well, now they are. What an opportunity missed. But um, what a story. It's just a beautiful story for football. Mm. It's a refreshing story to see a guy... You know, you've had all this thing, the Brandon Williams giving him the hug on the ground when he's seen him do the tackle a few weeks ago. It's just, he's on cloud nine and it really is a refreshing story to see Ericsson come good. But listen, we all knew he was a quality footballer when he was at Spurs. He was a serious, uh, seriously good player. Um, and it just didn't work out from, from then. And then obviously, you know, the World Cup and all, or the Euros and all the rest. But look, it's great to see him come well. And it's even better to see... And as we were saying there, an example of what a good pro with a little bit of extra kind of panache on the ball can do to a team like Brentford and to bring them up that extra level. Absolutely. Now, Dave, you look at Manchester City, you look at Liverpool, quality teams, challenging uh, European champions are at Chelsea. Uh, and that can happen. Uh, mm. And when you look at Chelsea this year at the start of the season, we thought, yeah, these are going to be running them close. And it hasn't quite happened for them. <laughs> What is it that's missing from this Chelsea side to be able to challenge for the league? It's similar to what we said about United there when you were talking about up front, centre forward. Um, Lukaku, for whether it's injured or gone off the boil, Werner doesn't obviously doesn't seem to be. Um, that that centre forward and the way Chelsea play, the, you need it more so than what uh, City are a pure dominant possession based team that are going to live in 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 the final third. While um, Chelsea would be a little bit more kind of like to get it wide, like to kind of work the ball a little bit quicker than say what City would do. So I definitely think they're distinctly lacking up front. Like if Lukaku was fit, getting close to twenty goals, similar to what Salah's doing at the moment, it'd be a different story. I think. Um, Is he injured, Dave? Because he, I don't like, know. Well, he's been he's... in and out with form, and then obviously there's other options where they're putting in Havertz up front, which I think he'd like to be that little pocket, like that number ten in behind. So yeah, and he was playing. On he was playing up front at the weekend. Yeah. Lukaku comes on after sixty-five minutes. Yeah. So you would think if if the only way you're going to get your confidence back is by playing games. He's a big yeah. name player, so to be, to be starting games that gives him that little bit of confidence. Get yourself out there and and give him time to play. It's very hard after sixty-five minutes you know Absolutely. to come into a game like that and, and actually do anything so uh, is Tuchel getting it wrong I don't know like obviously he talked about missing Milan as well like so maybe he's not putting it in the way he should do you know um, we only get to see them on, on, on the pitch um, so Monday to Friday it's a lot different we talked to Tammy Abraham at Chelsea as well there must be something going it on it might be the week. English culture maybe he's back on the donuts again <laughs> exactly you can't get whatever whatever <laughs> the dice they sorted in Italy it's, it's obviously <laughs> gone wrong but you know when you hear things like that and obviously you know he's had form before like he can't, not didn't tools but he just didn't seem interested at United and maybe it's something similar here now at Chelsea it's not what he wanted to be but hey he got his back contract and that's all that matters um, because Inter Milan fans like are pissed off that he jumped ship when it looked like it was going wrong at Inter financially and he was gone like a hot snot so you know maybe he hasn't got the attitude we are and like he's what 29 30 now is he really going to change all that much 
Um, so, yeah, it's what we see on the field is all we can really judge on. And then you hear these little snippets. But, yeah, maybe he's just not the... The, the, the professional that's like look there's many of them out there Roy we talk about it almost every week we pick yeah. on different people and he's one of them as well does he really show up and be the ultimate professional probably not yeah maybe, maybe Conte is the man to deal with him didn't he get he, him in for a fight or did he, did he have a boxing fight with him or was there somebody yeah, else yeah he does that kind of thing yeah. over there yeah he's, he's, <laughs> like Conte's fallen out with more of them so I'd say yeah. you probably don't want to be on the wrong side of Conte. So you probably you probably stick to what the game plan is. Uh, would it be fair to say, Roy? Would it be fair to say when you look at Chelsea and I'm looking at their striking lineup, they were missing Pulisic in the weekend. Ziyech was playing and and uh, Timo Werner was playing. I would be. I think it's fair to say at this point that when you look at Werner, he's a failed signing. Lukaku at this stage now looks to be a failed signing. Even Havertz, they didn't sign Havertz to play as a false yeah. nine. They played him to play as a ten. And they're not because they have Mount there, they have Pulisic there, they have a couple of guys who can drop into the hole. So I think uh, Tuchel, when he wants to play his best team, he'll have Pulisic there um, with Mount and with Havertz, as in, in a kind of a diamond. And when he doesn't have them, they're not the same team because yeah. they don't rely, they can't rely on Lukaku. I think, I think Werner was brought in I mean, he played, he didn't play centre forward necessarily. He was a wide no. player cutting yep. in and he does that, I think, very well. And yes, it's easy to kick him when he's down, but he does he does a lot of movement that creates space for, for mm. other players. He does uh, create opportunities. I, I, I don't see him as a failed player, but he definitely, I think everyone thought he was going to come in as a centre forward and he did yeah. go in as centre forward because I don't think they had anyone at the time. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, they, they really only have one centre forward and that's mm. Lukaku. So it's a little like the Rashford thing. Why not play him unless there's something serious going on in the background? So, mm. yes, and I think Havertz, you're right, he, he was brought in as a 10. But when he came in, Neil, they started playing him out on the right-hand side, first of all, because they had Mount in there. Then yeah. Mount uh, went out and they hadn't got a centre forward, so he stuck him forward. So, yes, so maybe there's a little bit there of uh, they just haven't got the right people in, in the right positions and they really need to sort out their signings and maybe there's going to be a few of them shipped out in the in the summer. But as you said before, Tuchel's top, top manager and uh, I'm sure he'll be on top of that. Okay, Neil, I'll start with you on this one because uh, James Ward-Prowse scored another absolute screamer of a free kick. He has, uh, well, is he the best free kick kick taker ever in the Premiership? Uh, David Beckham's definitely going to be up there and have something to say about it. But what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, he's closing in on Beckham. It was a funny one when I was trying to research this. I'm trying to get numbers and compared like Ronaldo, Messi, you know, uh, obviously Beckham because he would be renowned and kind of known as one of the best free kick takers or definitely dead ball specialists uh, we've seen in the English game. And I don't think many would argue with that. But Jesus, if you look at his compilation of Ward Prowse free kicks, they're absolutely outstanding. And I did come across a nice quote from Pep Guardiola before they faced Southampton saying he thought he was the best free kick taker in the world. Uh, and he mind, he reminded him of Messi, although Messi of 10 years ago. I don't know where that came from, but, or a dig at Messi, which seems a bit weird. But anyway, um, and then I went on to Ronaldo and I was looking at his time at Juventus. And you, Ronaldo at Juventus took 72 uh, free kicks before he scored one. Um, but yeah, if you look at, if you look at Ward Prowse at the moment, I mean, he strikes a mean free kick. His set piece, his free kick, his corner kicks, his set piece delivery in general is absolutely bang on. And I can't think of a better weapon uh, if you are 20, 25 yards out in the Premier League at the moment. The only reason maybe why he doesn't get that extra bit of credit is because he can't really nail down an English starting spot. 
and he plays for Southampton. But I mean, if he was Liverpool City, United, you know, a higher profile club, you'd be waxing lyrical about him every single time he put a free kick like that in the back of the net. Um, but he's a, he's, he's a serious strike rate at the moment. And he's only a couple off Beckham now. He's like five off Beckham or something like that. And he's a good few, a few more years left in the tank. Okay. Dave, you have uh, thoughts on James Ward-Prowse, so do share. He's a midfielder, and he's not a good one. I couldn't care less about his free kicks. <laughs> couldn't care less. Because guess what? Do you know who has two goals less than him? Sebastian Larson. And I quoted him as he's an English Sebastian Larson. And do you remember him? Did you rate him at that as, as a footballer, as a midfielder? Like a really good midfielder. As much as I did Charlie Adaman, he was 10 million exactly. just for his free kicks what? alone. They, they took free kicks as well. <laughs> Listen, yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. It's a fantastic weapon, but I've watched him in the last few weeks and he is not a good midfielder. Leeds breeze past him with ease yesterday. United breeze past him with ease the other week. He's always last back. He loves to drift into the pockets out on the right so he can whip in crosses. Guess what? For numbers. Because you said the dreaded N-word, Neil, for numbers. Would and you play him, Dave? Would you have him in your team if you thought that every second game he was going to be scoring a free kick? He's been playing for 12, 10 or 11 seasons. He's got 13 free kicks. That's on average one a, one a year. He's got two or three this season, which is great. But Beckham got 17, lads. Like, considering how good Beckham is, he's still only got 17. Like, it's an average two goals a season. So, no, I don't want them. I want somebody to boss the midfield, and he doesn't do it. So, st- Aaron Creswell got a great one today. Is he better than Mark Prowse? Aaron yeah. Creswell got an absolute peach one. I wouldn't put Fabian Cher got a shite one today. <laughs> so <laughs> they don't always have to be in the post. Listen, there's no denying what he does, like, and 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 he does it well. But there's lads who on the Sunday Park who could probably strike a good ball as well, but they're not great footballers, and that's a bit of a damning indictment towards him. But as regards his real role as centre midfield, I there's a reason why he's at Southampton. There's a reason why he always just misses out because, like I said. He, they can get by him quite quite easy. He's usually last back. And as I say, he drifts away to try and get out into the wings. Like Beckham in the last couple of years of his career, just went deeper and deeper into pockets so he could do what he does best, and that's put the ball in the box. And that's what I look at in Warprouse because what happens is once he gets one of these goals, the debate rises up. Is he great? Is he this? Is he that? And you're like, it's all about his free kicks. What is he like as a player? And no one comments on it, you know? And that doesn't that doesn't mean I want to get at him, but it's like that's what's more important because like I said, 13, it's it's probably an average one, one and a half a season. So as good a weapon as it is, how vital is it? Well, I don't know what his overall stats are, but for Southampton, I think his value is enhanced as far as free kicks, corners, set-piece delivery, which for a lot of teams in the Premier League, be it West Ham, you look at the amount of times they've come up with a set-piece, a good set-piece delivery, and then a finish, which has Mm. nicked them a few goals. They've scored a lot from corners and stuff. So I think his plays for Southampton is a is a justified selection. I mean, I don't mm. see many on the bench for Southampton you would put in ahead of him. Um, but obviously, look, there's a reason why he doesn't get into the England squad. There's a reason why he isn't in a top six to, uh, squad. But I think for his value of what he does on the field, you know, I think it justifies at the club he's at. Um, and, you know, you have to recognise a decent delivery when you see it. OK, uh, Dave, World Cup draw was made during the week. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, I looked back on one. It was the World Cup 94 came up on my Facebook. And uh, I didn't know Robin Williams was doing it with uh, Sepp Blatter. And he kept calling him Mr. Blatter and, and slagging him off. And <laughs> this, um, said, I've seen you in the toilet, Mr. Blatter. <laughs> no, good enough for yeah, he was, he was good, he says. And tell me when I have to wink and cough and all that sort of stuff. So he was doing it. It was brilliant. But... But it wasn't like that this time. <laughs> uh, but no. there were some interesting groups that came over. And again, 
England, while not really a, a, a bad draw for them, a political draw, really. Oh, yeah, Iran and USA. We all remember that from 98 when it was not long after a few little testy bits and pieces. Obviously, England now as well. And no matter who comes in, it's going to be a bit of an emotional one in either uh, Scotland or Wales, because obviously then you've got a bit of a derby. But then obviously if Ukraine get there, it'll be a big celebration for them with everything that's going on that we all know. So it's 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 an interesting group, but maybe not necessarily purely for football, you know, with Iran and USA, England in their current status at the moment of it a fairly formidable tournament team shouldn't be too worried about that. Obviously it will be a decent side that comes out of the European playoff, but they they've got to be happy with the likes of Iran and USA. But uh, just before we go into any groups or whatever, it's a disaster. First game is on a Monday morning at 10 o'clock. Ooh, that's so shocking, you're isn't it? most, a lot yeah, of people are going to have to, isn't the first game a stinker? What's the first uh, game? Senegal and Holland. Oh, no, is it sort of host Qatar start, is the reason why Qatar is later on in the day is for the prime time slot. Okay. Uh, so I Qatar see. are going to be on, Ecuador. I think it's a four o'clock against okay, Ecuador. Against Ecuador. Well, yeah. so I suppose we're going to be missing out Holland and Senegal. That's going to be yeah. a, a, Monday an interesting one. But Qatar and Ecuador to be running home to see that, I don't think so. So, yeah, that's <laughs> a fall belt. Glad Ireland didn't make this work up. Um, <laughs> What about, so England, we reckon they're going to get through. If they have any chance, t- thoughts of going anywhere, they, they have to get through. Yeah. Uh, Neil, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico and Poland. You always look at these groups and you think you know who's going to go through, but it doesn't always be like that on paper. Yeah, I, I mean, Mexico would be the one, right? Like, let's be honest, how do you gauge them? You know, Mexico is one of these teams that sometimes they go to a World Cup and they ignite. Um, you know, a lot of the South American teams in particular would be like that. You don't know what you're really going to get with a couple of them because um, you only really hear of Brazil and Argentina. But like you've got Uruguay there, there's a couple of them that you just don't know until they reach the tournament because you won't have you won't have an idea of most of their high profile players or who's going to turn out to be a star. Uh, also, the other thing is, well, at these tournaments, you don't really know what teams are going to go there and ignite full stop. So you even look at England and you think to yourself on paper, very, very strong team. But then they get to the, you know, something goes wrong or all is not well in the camp. France have done it in a couple of tournaments before where they don't get on. Holland have done it for years. But uh, is this one though, Neil, if if you think about it with England, is this one where you think, okay, right, the, the weather thing is going to be against them, the heat. But then again, they have air conditioning stadiums. So that's of benefit to them because it's not going and to it's be not, like, um, it's not, like it's not end of season. Up. It's kind of that's start the season. Yeah, so fairly not, fresh. So that, sh- that excuse is gone as well. So is this a tournament now that England could look that and the, the players that they have, again, you talk about they've been in a semi-final, now they've been in a final of European Championships and, and they're over in England, they're saying, well, the next natural progression is to win one and they're really, they're really talking about themselves. But there is a reason to talk about themselves. Sure, yeah. They have a decent squad. So yeah. everything seems to be pointing towards them having a good tournament and when you look at that group, it helps. Yeah, I mean, look, right, they, they've an embarrassment of riches and they should absolutely smash the group and get out of it after two games if they play their cards right. And then they can start setting themselves up. Now, I'll give credit to Southgate in the last tournament in particular. He didn't really deviate too much from plan A, which was to sit. We know we're better than other teams, play two holding midfielders, but we've got the players to cut the teams open and eventually create. And I think it will be a very similar strategy. So they don't expend too much energy. They have a bench full of stars that are absolutely 
Boston have got to be part of that first 11. Uh, he's after developing and maturing this squad very well, where I don't think they're overly, overly reliant on one player, maybe Harry Kane, um, which isn't a bad thing because Kane is a good talismanic figure for them. So, yeah, I think they'd be looking at this and thinking to themselves, this could be a real good year for us. And as you're saying, fresh faces, fresh legs at the start of the year. Um, there's a lot to look forward for for England if they play their cards right. Yeah, you look at other groups, David, and in all fairness, I look at all these other groups, yeah. I'm not seeing anything that's... There's no that, real group of debt, is there really? No, I mean, the, 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 the one that you would think maybe Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay and South Korea, you just don't know what way their teams are yeah. going to come into it. I mean, yeah. Ghana had a, a, a great win to get through. Uruguay are always tough. South Korea... Uh, could be good. Could, I'm really yeah. not too sure about them at the moment. And by the time some, the Christmas comes around, you're, yeah. you're not too sure. Like the Brazil one with Serbia and Switzerland might be a bit tasty because, you know, Switzerland, you know, are very serial kind of qualifiers and yeah. Serbia, yeah. like they're fairly even. Steep. So the battle for the other spot with Brazil, maybe. But yeah, I'm not saying we'll get the top two of every one of them right, but we probably get about 13 or 14, I'd imagine. There will be a surprise, but you, it'll be very hard at the minute. We played Belgium it. recently, Dave, um, and of course there was a few players missing. When yeah. you look at Belgium, this would be one of their last chances yeah. with the squad that is their golden yeah. generation, if you want that. They probably don't want to be called that. Yeah, Is that team good enough? And actually, the, the real question is, is the manager good enough to get the most out of them? Hard to tell. Like, obviously he's... Um... He wasn't good enough at everything. No, that's for sure. But like, they're a good side. There's no denying they're a good side. And there's no denying with the results and the rankings. It can kind of, it can kind of, like obviously they do well apart from one game, if you know what I mean, in the last few tournaments. So they kind of win everything, but then they lose that one game, but it happens to be the most important one. Hence why their number one ranking is, is, is why it is, because they consistently win the majority of their games. But unfortunately, when it comes to it, they lose that quarterfinal or they lose that semifinal or whatever it may be. And that's massive. And hence why we don't rate them the way the rankings would. Mm. Um, but that says a lot, though, because it, it is tournament football. And, you know, you have to show up and be counted. And, you know, one thing I've always found with Belgium, they, I don't know what it is, but it's a missing piece. And it could be the manager, right, to be honest. But I always just find there's a bit of a hot, like a, a soft center, whether it be within the team or maybe within the manager. It's hard, to, as I said, I always struggle to, to pinpoint it. But when it goes wrong, they look lost. And yeah. I think it was Japan that did them in the World Cup. Am I right in saying that? It was Japan or Korea. One of the Asian sides did them. Um, they just looked lost. And there was no kind of true leader in that team. Like, I'm not saying, like, uh, my pal company, but, like, who is that true leader on that side? Now, people will say De Bruyne purely because of his quality, of a, 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 the, how good of a player he is. But is he that true leader on that pitch? I don't think Belgium have it. And I don't think that kind of, like I said, that missing piece, I don't know what it is. It's just lacking and there's a bit of a soft sense so when it goes wrong they kind of lose their head a bit and yeah. obviously where you're coming from as well Roy maybe that should stem from the manager because he needs to sort that out because they should they should have bundles of confidence yeah and I'm kind of uh, looking to see where third place Belgium uh, France and Croatia and England so who beat them either Croatia or France who beat England was it Croatia, Croatia. So yeah. France beat them in the semi-final. So yeah, yeah. France were on a high at the, at the time, in all fairness. And, and France are going to be one of the teams, Neil, that are, are going to be the favourites. Brazil are the favourites. Uh, you've got France second favourites. I think 
England are something like seven to two third favourites. Um, and you've got then the likes of Spain, maybe I think it was something like ten to one uh, last week or the week before that. Who's who's your maybe outside? Because obviously France, we'll all think that France have an opportunity there. But who was your outside bet there? Do you think? Because Germany, Germany are definitely an outside bet because they had such a poor showing uh, lately. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> I can't really see you know when you go by France. Um, Sorry, you go by France and uh, Brazil. Yeah, Brazil. England is my outsider. That's the nearest outsider yeah. that I could see winning it, unless something changes near to the time. Portugal are strong, well organized. They've got goals in them galore. They probably lacking a bit in the back line. That's why I always back France. They they always seem to have the best defenders. France do, and then they've got the likes of Mbappe. Will get them something out of nothing. Uh, Brazil excite me this year because I think they're not overly aligned to Neymar, which they were in previous tournaments. They've got a lot of lads to share the kind of burden as such, and I think that he's going to go there with a big point to prove because this could be, you know, his twilight of his uh, yeah. World Cups. But I can't see further than that. I was very impressed with Spain, I guess, in the last tournament. Insofar as they had a very young side. And they played some beautiful, beautiful football. Um, remember watching them against the Italians, and they were really good. They probably just lacked a little bit of a kind of tactical hop on, I guess, that they were a little bit open at times, and the Italians exploited that. But Spain would be a side that are maturing very well, but it might just come that little bit too soon for them. Um, but he's definitely building something of uh, a lot of their youth. He's bringing, he's emphasizing youth, and he's bringing through. He's getting rid of the old kind of the dead wood, and he's bringing in. You know all these young lads that are up and coming stars in the in the uh, in La Liga. So maybe Spain, as far as I think they'll, I don't think they'll win it, but I think they'll go deep and I think they'll impress and they'll play some good football. Okay, okay. Well, that's a we're a little bit away from that. We're about eight how months do you away feel, from that, seven months. How do you feel like the week before Christmas? We're watching the World Cup final. Um, <laughs> Listen, it's always good to, to watch a World Cup. Of course, you want your country in it, but it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting because, as we said, it's halfway through people's seasons now. So mm. maybe we're going to see a better quality World Cup, which yeah. would be great. You know, everyone's on their peak fitness, uh, peak energy. Uh, so, yeah, that could be uh, could be interesting. Uh, what way does it affect people? At the start of the season, uh, I mean, injuries and stuff, are people going to be a lot more careful? I don't know. It, it, it's, it's all yeah. very interesting. And the season afterwards, like when they come back, is going to be interesting for the first, say, couple of weeks or a month, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I actually don't know. I must look that up now and see like, when the, when the, the season finals on the eighteenth off again. The finals on the 18th, and obviously with the Premier League, and they're very precious about the Christmas fixtures. They're like they're very Steve, interesting the if there's Boxing Day fixtures. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Day. Stephen's That's... Day. I don't know how Paddy's Day come out of my mouth there, but yes. <laughs> Uh, so that'll be interesting, can't. yeah, to look it's, into. It's the biggest revenue for the UK game. So, I mean, they're going to have to make sure they get that, you know, their pound of flesh yeah. over that seven, eight day period. And bear in mind, they lost out due to COVID this year. A lot of games went by the wayside over that precious yes, period right. where all that revenue comes in. So they're going to want them stars back on the plane. If you t- mm. if you take a gauge, Roy, of the African nations, when all, Liverpool had all the lads back after what? four days or something like that i mean they were back in and oh, they were yeah. back in the starting lineup so i imagine they'll be watching this re- very very carefully with a little less regard for them and play them right up until they go and then right go do your bloody tournaments and then the minute they get back they'll have them playing away and every club praying that their their players get knocked out in the group stages <laughs> 
Okay, we're going to leave it there. Neil, thanks very much. Dave, thanks very much. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, go to YouTube and have a look at us and uh, vice versa. If you're watching us on YouTube, go to the podcast and listen to us on the move. And we'll be talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you then. Bye.